Whatever you do, don't talk don't, about the war. Don't mention the war. <laughs> 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 There's a whole stock monkey culture connected to all this. I believe that Einstein was a lazy procrastinator like me. Yeah, but can you guys tell me what this has to do with um, web design? Welcome to Einstein and Sock Monkey, the podcast for web geeks and website owners. I am Steve Martin, and you are Ron Zazadinsky. And. Mm-hmm. We have with us today special guest John Walters, all the way from Germany. Returning again. Germany. You know, I, I do have to say it's not very fair that you say it all the way from Germany because you don't sound like it. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> cut, cut. <laughs> Come on, give us a real accent here, buddy. No, okay. uh, you don't want to hear that. <laughs> That's rude. I know. That's so rude. Uh, no, I, it's. I gotta say, it's very impressive. Is that the American version of a German accent? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm flexible that way. You know, it's like a continuum. It's a slider. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very impressive that the lack of accent you have, i got to say. It is, actually. Maybe so. it's a sign that I've spent too much time on this side of the Atlantic. <laughs> well, but how, how can you possibly spend too we're much not time complaining. in this country? No, we're not complaining. We're happy for that. <laughs> Do you want to deliver any message to your, uh, your European friends in German or anything like that? I'm not really sure because <laughs> if if they would listen to this, they probably know English. They so have, they have if, sure. If I would invite them in German, I'm not sure if that would actually make any sense. They, you guys do have the internet in Germany, right? Oh yes, okay. <laughs> it's it's a recent addition. You know? <laughs> cool. Well, we're glad to have you here. You've been on couple couple podcasts, is that right? Maybe two or three, two. something like that. Well, and you have your own mic this time. Which oh yes, makes yes. things wonderful, and uh, so luxurious. And we, are, I know we're a couple. Where it's been four weeks since our last yeah, recording. Yeah, we missed we missed one. Yeah, I was in San Francisco, and then I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It wasn't that long of a trip. It was. It was short, very huh? quick. Yeah, and and then you got married. I got married. Since Congratulations! The last podcast. Thank you. Very exciting stuff. Yeah, and Good so reason to miss a podcast episode, right? I, I, I oh, was yes. fine with that. Yeah, yeah, not that's, a problem. That's definitely a day where you want to be in the moment all the time. Definitely, it was it was great. We had lots of family in town. I got to spend several days together with them, and you know, it's probably the one time in my life that both sides, all of both sides of the family, immediate family, were together. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's hard enough to get one half of that. Well, you guys are spread all over the place. Oh yeah, I mean, out of twenty five people at the wedding. Five, four are from Colorado, so twenty-one wow. roughly flew in. Yeah. Yikes! Yep. They must love you. <laughs> it felt like it then. <laughs> but you know what really shocked me that you, Ron, still managed to send out a few tweets on that day. I just I could not believe That's it. That's dedication. I could not believe it. I did. <laughs> John even commented on that. He's like, "I can't believe you're tweeting on the day of your wedding." Man. Absolutely. As long as the wife doesn't mind. Well, she did. She did. She did lay it down that uh, you know, when, as like an hour before the wedding, and we're getting ready. She said, "Okay, you know, when we leave for the wedding, no more social media." <laughs> I was like, "But I was going to tweet during the." Ceremony. 
ceremony. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't really, but uh, it did cross my mind. I actually thought about scheduling a few tweets during the ceremony, but I didn't. I didn't actually get around to it. That would have been funny, at least. You know, that's that's a bit like all those people who go to to a really good concert and they tweet and they take photos and they upload videos to YouTube and whatnot. And I guess if you would ask them afterwards if they had actually actively listened to any song, mm-hmm. they were probably so distracting. You know, you go to a concert and you have all you see all these mobile phones in the air. Mm-hmm. Like, people, why are you here? It's, it's enough if one of you has that phone up. It's true. So I think that will be, uh, as we digress further, I think that would be a huge revolution in social media and mobile phone usage if it was somehow easier and more efficient to make posts. Because mm-hmm. right, it is very time-consuming to mm-hmm. thumb text, you know. It takes too long. Yeah. And you do miss the thing that you're there to experience. So Absolutely. So. Well, and I, w- I was at the uh, Telluride Bluegrass Festival Ooh, nice. last weekend. How was that? It was interesting. <laughs> Uh-oh. It was a, it was a half... A, we, all, we were only there for a half day. It's like a three or four day festival together. And we just wanted to go see the, the Decemberists because big fans. And uh, um, so that was like a Friday afternoon or... No, it was a Saturday. They, they played on a Saturday. And uh, it was really... I, we thought, oh, it's going to be like bluegrass music, right? Lots of older folks maybe, you know... A lot of bluegrass music is kind of gospel based. Was this not know? the case? No, it's like bunch of hippies. Bunch of hippies. <laughs> <laughs> not got, that there's anything wrong with no, hippies. No, there's anything wrong with that. It, it, it was kind of like you. It's like the, all the common elements of like Berkeley mm-hmm. and uh, Boulder, mm-hmm. that type of stuff, just all in one place. And there are about ten thousand people there, or something wow. crazy, a huge amount of people. And it was beautiful weather. I gotta say, some of the nicest people at a, any kind of a concert any ever. But what I was gonna say about it is, it's in a big um, outdoor festival thing like that. You know, talk about not paying attention. You know, these people like taking a nap during the Decemberists. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? How dare you? Was, no was, oh, but think about it. You can still listen to something with your eyes closed, so you can still kind of bask in the music. <laughs> That's as you're what my snoring. father used to say when I was growing up as well. <laughs> Keep talking. I'm just resting my eyes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure but does. I mean, a, a lot of people are really, you know, into it. Some people were extra into it, judging from the the smell of the. <laughs> aroma of what they Herbs. were smoking. <laughs> huh. um, <laughs> quite huh. a few people, actually. Wow. Um, but it, all, all in all, it was fun. But um, yeah. Shit, it, but back to what you're saying. I digress even further. But the uh, the mobile thing. Yeah. That that uh, things will continue to change with the how that works, for sure. But it's, there are several videos that did pop up like that night on YouTube from sure. the concert. So. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I would rather listen to music myself. Absolutely. Anyway. Shall we move on to sure. the news? Yeah, let's go ahead with that. Um, on the social media mobile thing, uh, iOS 5, and uh, this has been thrown around a lot by folks, is going to have Twitter integrated at the OS level. I heard about that, but I haven't looked yeah. much into that. So what's the scoop there? What that essentially does is it will, in, in your settings, you put your username and password in one time, and then all the apps that use at Twitter pull from there. 
so you don't have to keep entering it in all the time. And um, I don't know how that works for multiple accounts, who knows, but there was a lot of point. There are all these um, articles that I read back and forth essentially saying, and doing this big analysis of, well, Twitter only has like 40 million users actively, but Facebook has 600 million. Why didn't they do Facebook integration first and yada, yada, yada. But I, I, have, I came across an a article on stayinalive.com and we'll have Is that the a link. Disco blog. <laughs> <laughs> it sure sounds like it, doesn't it? Um, let, me, let me click on it and look at exactly how discoy it looks. No, it doesn't look too discoy. <laughs> anyway, it's just a tech blog, essentially marketing and technology. But anyway, um, what the guy was saying is I think he has a good point and I think he's probably into the right track. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that Twitter is the choice of Apple mm-hmm. for iOS 5. Probably what it means is it's the easiest to implement this type of thing for the beta because they're still doing the beta. It's not released yet. But mm-hmm. this guy's assumption, and this is probably something to watch out for if you have any kind of service like this, is that... Um, Twitter just was the first ones to be given access to this private API that allows you to have this one password that accesses multiple apps type of integration. Mm -hmm. And they're just doing that for testing and so forth. But when it launches, then Facebook can do that if they feel like it. Or Mm -hmm. Gowalla or Foursquare. Apple have to... Build that in for each of the platforms. Well, what each it, of the networks? It, it's when it when it says OS oh, at the OS level, maybe that's kind of a deceiving, deceptive. Okay. But it's not like code hand Twitter dot com is hand coded into the thing. What it what it sounds like it's doing is right now it's a private API that allows that functionality, but probably in the future they'll open that up to multiple hmm. streams and make it not so private. Interesting. But I mean, there's just a lot of speculation. But it did seem curious why they had picked Twitter, you know, to integrate into the operating system. However, they're doing it as their first venture. It yeah. seemed like it was more promoting Twitter than anything else mm-hmm. because I mean, Apple has more users than Twitter does, probably. Right. So yeah, I, I mean, it's speculation still. But and iOS five. Do you know? Do you have any idea when it comes out? Have you heard? Well, the, the official statement says that it's going to be fall, so they have not actually released. A, a defined date, a specific date when it's okay. available. But they released the um, the beta two to developers. So it's well, closer. either way, it just it's kind of yet another mm-hmm. sim- signal that they're you know social media is going to be around for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at least till tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the question, other question I have with the iOS five releases: Do you think there'll be an iPad three at that time? Will they go that fast on the iPad no, revisions? Don't think I don't so. think so. Good, because I'm about to buy an iPad too. <laughs> I'm wondering how much buyer's remorse I'm gonna have in three months. <laughs> Just wait till I buy an iPad too, then they'll buy then they'll release no an iPad three. One of the I, I was a very early Palm Pilot adopter. Um, I think I had the Palm Pilot two, but not the one. And literally like the day I bought the two, the next day they released mm-hmm. the Palm Pilot three. Yeah, I had a three. Well, in that case, you're you're um, you're better off with an Apple product because what Apple usually does is, if you bought something when the last True. two weeks at yeah. least, they will take the old device exchange back. It. And you also, there's it. a few warning signs typically at the stores. Inventory starts dropping, and they can't right. get it in. And you know, listen to the tech blogs; you can kind of figure out at least the couple week window. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then again, 
Um, now that we're on that topic anyway, we're, <laughs> we're digressing all the time, which it's kind of fun. Um, I think you should buy technology when you need it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. keep an eye on the release cycle that companies have. You bet. Um, for example, Apple used to announce a new iPhone around mid-year. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't, that's a good sign that maybe something is not going to be released all that soon. But if you need a new laptop for whatever reason, don't put too much emphasis on, on getting the latest and greatest because it's going to be the latest and greatest for a couple of days and something <laughs> new is going to pop up anyway. So Yeah, don't that's true. Yeah, gonna freak, annoy yourself and... Keep yourself up late at night and something with it. Anyway, that's all I had to say about that. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, so my first news item is uh, there's an article on Mashable titled How Starbucks is Paving the Way for Mainstream Mobile Payments. And uh, as you know, I'm addicted to this whole mobile thing and seeing how payments interact with it because I think it's just really interesting. Um, so you know we've discussed QR codes and marketing, and I think we've talked a little bit about the Starbucks payment system. Um, so we actually have some real data now on this. And basically the way the Starbucks system works is it's a three-part piece. So there's um, you need an app on your phone, and it displays a, t- a 2D barcode using your app. And then they use their regular scanner that they use for checking out products at the register at Starbucks. They can scan your phone when you're displaying your personal barcode. And then if you program it, it connects as a wallet and um, as a loyalty card as well. Uh, So it's kind of payment and loyalty rolled into one. So this is really one of the first widespread mobile payment methods. Um, But it's not nearly as sexy as the... Uh, NFC, near field communication systems, you know, that, that Google is rolling out now with Android, where you just wave your phone near a scanner. So that's a much easier UI, I think, the NFC stuff. Um, but to show how well the Starbucks system is working, this is, I thought, pretty impressive. So 9,000 Starbucks locations in the US now have this ability to uh, scan those apps. And I guess they run on iPhone, Blackberry, and Android. And uh, let's see, by March of 2011, which was nine weeks after they rolled it out, Starbucks had processed more than 3 million payments. So that's a pretty fast adoption rate. Um, mm. And in current data they released shows that Starbucks card payments now represent 20% of all in-store purchases. That's a huge number. How much? 20%, they really? say, of all in-store purchases are made through that those apps and scanning the 2D. So, I don't know, it's a very interesting sign. If there's that fast and widespread adoption you know, within the Starbucks 2D scanner thing, which requires you know, a custom app just for Starbucks, mm-hmm. you know, that's impressive. You know, I think as these more generic ones roll out where you have your wallet app that you then has a near-field communications thing that you wave at a scanner that works in any store that has a scanner, not just Starbucks, right, any retailer. Um, and the adoption could be much faster, potentially. What I find interesting about that is that the technology of, of scanning a 2D barcode from a mobile device has been around for quite a while. It has been. Because there are so many airlines that use that for, for boarding that mm-hmm. you would just show your, your iPhone or your Android device and they would hold that over the scanner instead of a paper printout of your boarding pass. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. You know, it's, it's a bit like a solution in search of a problem. So the airlines had that because it made sense in their their use scenario. Mm-hmm. And then to come up with another use like 
you just describe for, for payment um, mm-hmm. systems. That's interesting. And then the neat thing to me is that it does combine the payment and the loyalty program, right? right? So then you're getting your rewards automatically and you're paying at the same time. So it kind of all ties together. And the article, we have a link to it in the show notes, does discuss um, very briefly that you know their goal is to innovate the in-store experience that they want by, rather than technology driving what they do in the store, you know, they're coming from a user experience perspective mm-hmm. first, saying how can we improve this in-store user experience perspective? And so while you're waiting in line, you can pull up this app and have your 2D code ready, and then so payment's really quick. They're ready to pay, they just go scan. Now that's in theory. Now I haven't <laughs> used it myself, but you know, I've we've I think we discussed that it can be a little glitchy if your phone's at the wrong angle, there's glare and you know, I've got fingerprints all over. I don't know. Maybe it's more reliable than I I haven't used it. So. Well I've not used it myself either, but um and I, if if Matt uh, West is listening to this podcast, I apologize for going to Starbucks once. <laughs> I went by Starbucks the other day, and uh, I noticed that they had these special scanners uh, on, on either side, one for each cash register, essentially. And I'm like, my my daughter's like, ooh, look at the lasers. And so I asked him about the thing, and and I said, does this work? How does this work for you guys? Is it, is it an easy thing? They're like, it usually works pretty well. She said, except for when people don't have the app up and ready. Oh, oh she okay. made that clear, mm-hmm. you know, because you know they come in, and they go, oh right, I forgot, I've got it on my iPhone. They'll uh-huh. open it up and put the passcode in yeah. and open the app, and it's kind of slow, and then they get the thing. <laughs> so it can be quick. But if that, people are prepared, if they're prepared, right. you know, so it's it's just like anything. It's just it's quick if you've got your cash out, but, right? So yeah. it's not a knock against it, really. But but maybe they will come up with a solution that you also see at airports, where when you go through security, they have this thing like um, must have liquids in the bag and take out your computer, take off your shoes, you know, all these <laughs> steps that you have to go through right. to prepare. So it might say uh, take out phone, start phone, oh. start application, then approach like, cash register. Like a little sign. Starbucks is as easy as one, two, three. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like they got a little sign on the, on, the, on the line where they have the, like, the tape where you walk through the line. You just have it up there saying one, two, three. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Good suggestion. Yeah, if if Starbucks are you listening, is, Starbucks? Yeah, they're listening. That was a good idea. <laughs> that was John's idea. You heard it here first. <laughs> I hereby declare it public domain. <laughs> oh, wow! Wow! How generous! <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> yeah. So I think you're up next, John, for the next. Yes, uh, I have a news item. Developer-oriented news item. I was at a wonderful conference last month called the IA Conference, or rather IA Conference, because that took place in Munich. And it's one of the premier UX and UI design-oriented events in Germany. And one of the talks presented a prototyping tool for mobile devices, and it's called MockMe. That's M-O-K-K-M-E, and it's a website. And you can create a user interface by just dragging and dropping widgets onto a mock screen. And the cool thing is these screens are not static, so you can link them up, and they even have transition animations. Hmm. And it's entirely web-based, so there's nothing that you have to load onto the mobile device itself. And if you want to share that to actually test drive it, you just go to a, to a, um, a web page. And as they, as they claim on the website, ooh, it feels so native. And in fact, it hmm. does. And the cool thing is, one of the, the unique selling points that they advertise is that you can reuse the HTML and CSS code, and even the underlying JavaScript, 
and use that as a basis to build your production code. Really? Um, it's currently still in beta, but it's free, <laughs> and you should just, if, if you're designing for mobile devices, it's definitely worth checking out. I mean, the, the market of prototyping solutions for mobile devices just taken off. There are so many cool apps, and but I noticed that many have great features, but maybe lack the, the odd detail uh, that they might not have uh, transition animations or that they don't really feel native and are more like a um, wireframing look and feel. So um, I'd say if you're developing for a mobile platform, just check it out. It's free. And you might want to add that to your tool chest. It's mockme.me. I'm just checking out the site now, and it looks, I like their description even. It's really simple the way they explain it, and uh, I'm looking forward to checking this out. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this is actually, it looks like it's actually for web apps. Right. Yes. Not, not, yes. not native, like apps. native apps. Okay. I mean, the thing system. is, if, if you, um, the, the widgets look like the real thing. So right. if you develop for an iPhone, it's, it's iOS widgets. I mean, mm-hmm. you could still use that to, to demonstrate I a prototype could, yeah. And, yeah. and still build a native application. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And it, it, you get started right away. Works. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can just like start going to town, dragging and dropping stuff. This is very cool. Wow. I like E. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna have to stop playing with it. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> wow. My that's next. Quite fancy. I'm up next. Okay. Yeah. That, thanks. That's cool. Yeah. I, I, there. Every once in a while, a new. I've seen several. Um. Prototyping tools for mobile coming, you know, here and there, but I, I, it's it's nice to be able to, you know, have something that you can actually pull the code from, even, mm-hmm. you know, not, I mean, because it's it's kind of like it kind of goes reminds me going back to the days of Microsoft front page, you know, <laughs> good grief, well, <laughs> doesn't that date you, Steve? <laughs> A little bit, but back, you know, where you could make it look. Fine, and put right. stuff anywhere you wanted, but then you actually look at the code and you just want to vomit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's not. It, I, I don't. I haven't seen the code, but I'm guessing it's just fine. You know. Uh, but the better this as things gets better, it's nice to be able to do things like that. Right. And I at work, I even I use Axure to mm-hmm. prototype stuff, and it's fine for prototyping, but you can't use that code. Right. It's just. I mean. I guess you could if you really wanted to hurt yourself, but it's faster to redo it. So anyway, well, the, the cool thing about the about this MockMe application is that it was developed by a guy who works for a for a design agency. Mm-hmm. So it was built by someone who uses this. Nah, it's, that's so important. it's not something where where the developer guessed what the users would need, but it's something that he basically built to, to scratch an itch that he had himself. That ends up usually being like some pretty good stuff. And the reasoning behind this, that was a pretty interesting thing, especially for the, the listeners out there that are into UX or usability in general. Um, the reasoning was that when they built static pages for, for prototyping, that there were no transitions. And I mean, if you use a, a, any mobile device and, for example, you navigate a hierarchical structure like the songs in iTunes or right. photos or something, then the animations are really, really important to tell you where you're going. They are. So it's 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 if you want, it's almost kind of like visualization of the information architecture that's underlying these structures. And if that's missing, the prototype feels decidedly different from the real application. And very often it's lacking. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite as convincing as the real deal if you mm-hmm. would build that. Mm-hmm. So this is a, is is great for convincing 
people off a certain design that might not be designers themselves because it does feel like the real thing when it's built. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. Well, the second thing I had is that Google Swiffy has launched. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Came across this today. I'm not sure how recently this actually launched, but it's one of the Google Labs things. It's um, swiffy.googlelabs.com. And what this does is it's a, a handy little beta tool, of course. You upload a .swf file, commonly referred to as a Swift file, <laughs> <laughs> which is a Flash file, and it will convert that Flash file into HTML5. Woohoo! That sounds like another thing that makes Adobe executives really, really afraid. <laughs> exactly. And I tried it out. Um, it, it's, it's in beta, so it kind of acts and feels like beta, mm-hmm. but that, that, it, that's fine. I'm, I'm curious to see how far Google actually goes with this. Mm-hmm. If they don't do something with it, somebody else I'm sure will. But it has a maximum of 512K files that you can upload. So the first one I grabbed was like 5 meg, <laughs> and, cause, and it didn't really work obviously so I found a smaller one and it did an amazing job hmm. and what, what was it the nature of the app, the file that you the tried file to was actually a um, something we had at work it was a uh, like a storyboard like an animated almost like a cartoon uh-huh and it had the uh, showed all the animations it didn't do some of the um, really specific things that flash did and it gave me like a report of the errors that it had like some of the blending modes and things like that weren't supported but it, it had the animation of the little guy going by on his on a, on a little scooter, and it had like the sun coming up and down in in this little interactive mm. thing. And it was really impressive, but and it was complete. And it shows it next to each other. It shows the um, it shows the uh, the original Flash file, and right below it, it shows the HTML5, so you can compare. Okay, and it's really impressive. And you know, as things get more and more HTML5-ish, right? The the better it's going to get. And they make you click this thing like, I have permission to do this with this file. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. But So it, it's going to be good to, especially I'm thinking if you have a something on your site that's Flash, like if, say it's an ad or whatever, and you want to put that into a mobile app right. for an I, iOS device, you throw it in this thing and spit it out the other side and there you go. Okay, and, they, and they give you the code. You click this link, it downloads the HTML file for it, and you're done. Oh, cool. please, if, if it's an ad, please keep that in Flash. <laughs> I don't want to see those anyway. Please don't circumvent my Flash blocker in my browser, please. Okay, <laughs> if, if it's a very important video. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's And it does videos, too. You're kidding. Hmm. And it'll, cause it, it'll convert the Flash video and pull it out and make that in a video object for HTML5. Do you know what kind of video format, since it's Google, does it convert it to WebM? I have no idea. That's a good That's question. a very, very good point. Because that would be really interesting if it just converted video to WebM. My guess is it's probably H.264, even though they say they're not going to support that anymore. They still huh. are doing it, but I have no idea. Absolutely none. Huh. Well, have to, you have to play with it. have to play with it. Uh, from the new stuff I saw, I think it was just released today. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, I, I saw it on the Daring Fireball, mm-hmm. so I stole that from him, but... Cool. Um, I thought it was yeah, pretty I, neat. I happened to stumble across that just looking for you know looking at what the web news was today. I, I yeah. saw it today. So, it so like how extensive are the warnings that because if if you import them, do they really give detailed information what's not working? Because that's um, something I really like. If you have an application and you import a a non native to that application format and it tells you exactly what it can't use from that file. 
Right. Well, let me upload one right now, and I will tell you, upload and convert. And while you're converting, uh, okay, it's done. Wow. (laughs) One detail I notice is that it does when it makes a conversion, it uses SVG for the conversion. Oh yeah, which is cool. I mean, because SVG is backwards compatible quite a ways. Uh, Officially, only works in browsers that are WebKit, so Safari and Chrome and mobile mm-hmm. Safari is what it says right now. But SVG is supported in other browsers, so I'm curious if it works in other Yeah, it says things platforms. like blends no, blend mode's not supported, um, 50 occurrences. Scenes mm-hmm. are not supported. Miter limit will behave differently. Adjusting the font kerning with dynamic text is not supported, three occurrences. So it doesn't say, it doesn't say exactly where in the file that happens, mm-hmm. but how many times it happened in exactly, you know, ActionScript 3 is not supported. Right. But they'll do two. You know things like that. Mm-hmm. So it should be enough to, to gauge whether the conversion is, is makes any sense if that works. Sure. Work. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm obviously you can tweak the HTML5. It's mm-hmm. a lot easier than it to me. I'm not a very proficient Flash person, so it's easier to tweak the HTML for me than it is this Flash. But you've done a lot of Flash yeah, stuff in the we past. We have. So one of the things I noticed interesting on the on the Swiffy Swiffy googlelabs.com site as it does say it currently supports a subset of Swift 8 and ActionScript 2.0 and the output works in all WebKit browsers if possible they say exporting a Flash animation as a Swift 5 file might give better results hmm. that's pretty old technology it is I mean because we're up to Flash 10 right now yeah. so and ActionScript 3 of course is really heavy in Flash uh, 9 and 10 so you know, for things that are really current, that's it may not work. But if it's but older it, stuff and simpler yeah. stuff, you could export those probably as Flash eight. This strikes me as something that some a single guy at Google did on on his twenty percent time. <laughs> yeah, you know what right, I mean, right, right. Where they get twenty percent to do anything, and because you know, even the FAQs it says, um, "Will this be open source?" We're not sure yet. <laughs> you know, it's really beta. It, it kind of sounds maybe. like, dear Adobe, we could do this for real if you wanted yeah. to, like a proof of concept. Right? Yeah. Well, and so Adobe does have a similar product, mm-hmm. right, called oh, Wallaby, really? right? Which I run, heard that. Yeah, which runs on a Mac or a PC and does something similar. I, I don't know from Flash to HTML to HTML5. Really? Mm-hmm. I had not heard that. That's yeah. good to know. Yeah. Cool. I wonder if they first tried to call it Swiffer and noticed that that name was taken. Swiffer. <laughs> <laughs> you want to clean your floors. No exactly. Problem. Clean your code. <laughs> Scary. All right. Uh, is it me? It's yes, totally it's you. you. Okay. We're all just You're staring in the spotlight, Ron. I'm like, why are they both looking at me? Oh, it must be my turn. Um, so my next article or news item is why uh, it's by, let's see, on the GigaOM website. Written by the, the leader, Om Malik himself. And the title is Why Google Plus, which is Google's new social media platform, uh, won't hurt Facebook, but Skype will hate it. So this, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting for several reasons. One is I had heard through a news item I do not have a link to um, that theoretically this year all the CEO all the executives bonuses at Google are based on Google's success in social media hmm. not search not any of their core really? 
Yeah, not in their core business items, but their success in social media will determine executive bonuses this year. So this is one of the first major rollouts we've seen of a social media That's an incentive effort. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So that trickle down incentive. That alone is interesting. The URL is interesting too. It's google.com forward slash and then the plus symbol hmm. for Google Plus, which is really different. Um, so it has a lot of different pieces to it. It's not really a Facebook killer, if you will, I don't think. Um, but it has some features that do sound interesting. So uh, here's just some quick few pieces. Theoretically, it has granular privacy that normal people can understand, which has been a complaint about Facebook, that it's hard to understand how the privacy settings work. Google doesn't exactly have a great track record in that regard either, so we'll see. Um, You can create circles, which is like lists of friends or colleagues, and then you can control what each of the circles can see, You know what kind of updates they can see. Now, you can do that within Facebook also, um, so I'm not sure how different those capabilities are. Um, but the things that got me excited are they have a tool called Hangout, which is group video chat. Mm, saw that. And I've been waiting, you know, like we're a subscriber to GoToMeeting, and they've been promising for about six months now that the next version of GoToMeeting was going to roll out with group video chat, you know, multiple windows, and it hasn't shown up yet. Mm. Um, and Adobe has it. Um, but, you know, the, the really good products are very expensive. So this would be free group video chat. And if that works, that would be really slick. I'd be really yeah. excited about that. The demo video works great. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> um, they also have a feature called Huddle, which is a group chat service. Um, and I'm excited about that because we have used, in, in the past, we've used Campfire, which is a 37 Signals product for group chat. And we've, when we've done projects where we have multiple developers simultaneously working on a project that are all remote, um, it's great because it's just, you know, you're all right there in one mm-hmm. place and got the asynchronous thing and you can easily upload photos or code snippets and stuff. So if Hangout or a Huddle does that, the combination of the group video plus the group chat could be, for me, that could be really powerful. I, mean, I could see us using this at CodeGeek as an internal tool, like immediately. Right. Um, as an internal well, tool. I could see us at work doing the same thing because we yeah. have meetings all the time with people everywhere else. <laughs> right. So. So that could be really neat. Uh, and so this is interesting. At the same time, they're making Google Plus available as an app for the Android and iPhone platforms. Really? Now, yeah. whether those apps are out today, I don't know. I believe the service just launched today. Um, but- uh, yeah, I've just, I've just seen the videos. I, was at, uh, I found a, there was a pretty good link on the googleblog.blogspot.com. Um, had several, like six videos Demo videos of things. That's all I've seen. I haven't actually. Have you gone to actual Google? No, I haven't. Plus? I haven't done it yet. Yeah. No. So I have to check that out. But I'm pretty excited about that, and especially if there's you know actually apps for the iPhone that make if, if that actually works, and you can do like this Hangout and Huddle. I don't know. Again, I don't know what the features of the app iPhone app will be, but um, this sounds promising. And I, I you know based on the features I've heard so far, I mean first of all, Facebook has an unbelievably huge. You know, user base. I heard right. I heard numbers this week that uh, people are claiming it's now 750 million users, <sighs> and it was just 600 million like two months ago or whatever yeah. it was. You know, uh, Facebook will not verify that yet, but uh, uh, that's just so many people. You know, well, Google does not have a great track record in doing social media stuff. You know, Buzz they, or Wave, anyone? Buzz, Wave, and, <laughs> is it is Orkut theirs? Orkut is theirs. Yeah, it's theirs too. Yeah. But is that popular? I mean, I, I have no idea. I have no idea either, but 
It's more dominant in other countries, I understand. Okay. I think like Brazil, perhaps, there's a few countries where that's a bigger okay. uh, well, network. From, from the videos, obviously not having used the thing at all, I like, it looks like that they've really thought this through. Um, I've noticed that the the terminology that they use is really, you know, kind of I don't know I don't know how to say it, real base level terminology mm-hmm. people can get it. Like, like the desktop metaphor. Not so abstract, yeah. yeah. It's yeah, thank you. It's not abstract, mm-hmm. you know, join a wave. What? <laughs> right. Yeah, good point. Good point. But, but if you want to join a hangout, right. people can mm-hmm. kind of get that metaphor. Right. Where that's the group video thing. Um, and the circle, you know, people talk about a circle of friends all yeah, the time. That term makes and good the, sense. And you have these multiple kinds of circles. And one of the videos is like when you meet somebody new, you know, you you might want to be their friend or maybe not. And it shows this guy kind of, he's hovering with this guy's uh, uh, picture of his little icon of this guy. He's like, do I drop him in my good friend's circle or do I drop him in my acquaintance's circle? You know, it's like, sometimes you just need to take a leap. So he drops him in his good friend's circle. You know? It makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Yeah. But it's, it's nice people get that. Like, and I think that's the, the idea, the privacy that people get. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and so if mm-hmm. I want to only update my close friends with some family tragedy, I right. can do that. Whereas there, are, I, like right now, I've got people on Facebook who I work with, who I don't want to share everything about my life with. Absolutely, you know? yeah. That, um, but some people I get like my actual family. I want to talk, say things to them about. So anyway. I wonder how good that scales in terms of of user interaction. I don't if know. You have so yeah. many people. Like if you have maybe only quote unquote five hundred people and. How easy it is to manage who belongs to what circle? And That's a really good question because every every single ep, uh, uh, example that they showed on the videos, it's like twelve people per circle, you know. And so yeah. the mm. the little icons of their their image shows up nicely and fits around. Yeah, the what circle. happens when you have a hundred <laughs> right. people or two hundred people exactly. in a circle or a thousand? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the same thing that you see with any product demo video, especially course, with Apple. Sure. So they have a computer and it's set up with three pictures in your pictures folder. <laughs> yeah. and like, oh, I'd love to have a pictures folder. That is so easy to manage. Exactly. Like, right? <laughs> so, does it scale? That's an important question. Yeah, I'm sure, and I, I'm curious to see how. You know how this goes, and I'm mm-hmm. sure it's, it looks like it's also tied into Picasa and right. all their other stuff that they're doing. So, and yep. So yeah, I'm very curious to try it out, see how it uh, how it works. Sounds cool. like it has some yeah good potential. Mm-hmm. Well, last uh, news item is you. Yeah, if you and, have something, right? And it's again about Google, and it ties into um, even ties into the. the what was it Swiffy? Was that the name? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, where we talked about the video codec because they have released a new image format which is called Weppy, and it actually says on the page how to pronounce it right, and it's spelled W E B P. Um, and that and how do you pronounce me, it again? Weppy. 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 Yes. Okay. It, it, and it, it's that's the official way to pronounce gotcha. it. Like W E W P E. A P, a P-Y, um, At least they gave us something so like, yeah, that's like, like, like a guy like, you know, don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably PR told them don't screw this one up. Yeah. Um, well, now they had to do something after the GIF GIF fiasco, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's like a religious war. <laughs> um, that reminds me of WebM. Hmm. Hmm. Indeed, because <laughs> it, it says on the pages, it's not just the the name format. It also says. 
uh, a WebP file consists of VP8 image data, and that is exactly the same video codec that is at the core of the WebM format. Huh. And um, wasn't there this dispute about licensing in H.264 and supporting Chrome? Yes, there was. Yeah. So I'm not sure what to make of this. Um, it, it, I mean, the data is pretty impressive. It says that, uh, and, and I read this off the page, in a large-scale study of 900,000 web images, WebP images were 39.8% smaller than JPEG images of similar quality. Now, 40% is a lot, but, yeah. you know... It, <laughs> I'm kind of a Google skeptic in a way, and I wonder if this is some some approach to to popularize the VP8 codec and also use that kind of strategy to to make some ground for WebM. And can you speak at all to? I mean, you're mentioning it uses the video eight, you know, data, but but WebP is just images, static images mm-hmm. like JPEG. So how does that relate to you know a, a video codec? Is it essentially like? A frame, a frame a from a video? Isn't it convenient that the web page has a section that says how WebP works? <laughs> so let me read that out to you. It says uh, it uses predictive coding to encode an image, the same methodology used by the VP8 video codec to compress keyframes in videos. Hmm. Predictive coding uses the values in neighboring blocks of pixels to predict the values in a block and then encodes only the difference between the actual values and the prediction. The residuals, and that's the differences, typically contain many zero values, which can be compressed much more effectively. The residuals are then transformed, quantized, and entropy coded as usual. Webby also uses variable block sizes. So apparently it it does use... compression. sounds like that's more about the compression algorithm itself rather than... a fancy fancy compression. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. So... is this only supported? It, does, does it say who it's, what it's supported by? It is. Um, in fact, um, officially it's supported by Google Chrome, obviously. Well, hopefully, yeah. And there is a plugin also directly coming from Google for Internet Explorer and for Opera hmm. 11. Uh, the interesting thing, though, is that this codec has also been. See, I said codec. See, that's my mind frame that I'm thinking about <laughs> here. So uh, the format has been covered on um, the Think Vitamin webpage. And they list some applications that support the format. And they say you can create WebP images in Acorn and Pixelmator, uh, ImageMagic, Leptonica, and XN Convert. I only know the first two ones, and these are uh, indie developer uh, graphic uh, editors on the Mac. And I find it interesting that there is support on other pl- platforms than just Google uh, official um, platforms. But I'm skeptical if this really is going to take off because there's if it's really the the, the codec at the core of the image and uh, the the video format, this might turn nasty because I don't think it's it's in the interest of the of the user to limit access or support for codecs. So, well, isn't that kind of the idea behind Google's effort with WebM? Was you know there are no licensing issues; they're making it. Publicly available, so you know as far as licensing getting boxed into a corner, you know like H.264, there's no problem. It's like anybody can use it anywhere, theoretically. But of course, all the browsers don't support it yet. Well, one interesting aspect of or that was, that? Um, and and again, disclaimer: I'm not a lawyer, so I might completely screw this up. But what I read was if you use the H.264 codec, which apparently is is sort of managed by the by the MPEG group. Um, and supported by companies like Apple and some others, if you have a license for that codec, this group will pre- uh, protect you from licensing lawsuits. 
And as we could see um, in that recent lawsuit about uh, in-app purchasing, where Apple is now uh, siding with their developers, obviously, but still the developers were, were sued by a company. And unfortunately, I don't remain, uh, re re remember the details right now. The thing is, if you use the WebM format, you're not protected by Google from lawsuits. So you're free to use mm. it because it's not patent protected. But if another company claims a patent on that format, you might be you might get sued mm. if you use the format in your application. I hadn't heard about that twist to the yeah. uh, licensing issues. So again, I might I might completely have this wrong, but this is how I understand the problem. Mm. So the one thing is patent protected, but if you have a license, you are protected from from patent lawsuits. Hmm. Interesting. I do have to say, I was looking at the gallery as you guys are talking, and the, the images look great. If for you know. 86k versus 59k like it can't tell the difference the web the sorry i almost said webp webpy <laughs> the webpy file i some of them look slightly softer um maybe not as some of the edges as defined and stuff but it looks it's pretty good see that might be kind of a low pass effect from the codec that the image looks softer. Blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. <laughs> Come on, Steve, just take the fast 48 transform. No pass, no problem there. No problem. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Google that, Steve. <laughs> yeah, and they do have a, on the, on the Weppy site, they have a converter that you can get. Right. So you can download so only people in Chrome can see your stuff. Oh, and of course they have uh, developer support if so you can download some coding libraries. Cool. Oh, Google, what will you do to us next? <laughs> okay, well, that's the news for, the, for this episode, and we're going to go ahead and go on to our feature. And what we have chosen to do for our feature today, since... Um, uh, we have two of the guys who are involved with it here. Um, recently, there was a, uh, here at the Fort Collins Internet Pros Meetup, they had a re website review panel, and I'm going to let you guys explain that because I was not there, uh, but you guys were part of it. So take it away, Ron and John. Yeah, so I'd actually be interested to hear John describe it if you, if you want to start, just because I was the one who kind of helped put it together. <laughs> so I'm just curious to hear a different outside perspective of kind of what the purpose was and, and what we did. And So the, the uh, setup was that we had three websites to review, and, uh, five panelists. Mm -hmm. And the panelists were, let's say, briefed before the actual events. We could do some homework on those sites. And the interesting bit was that every single one of us on the panel had a different area of expertise. <clears throat> So Ron did you did the design right, part of things. That design feedback. Um, three other people were doing um, SEO perspective for the website. Right. There was uh, a code review if the HTML and CSS was um, well done. Um, third person was um, straight up marketing. Yep, Dave. internet marketing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I did the UX and user interface part. And the format was we had about thirty minutes per website. Um, presented between five and seven minutes each, so that roughly worked out. And the owners or operators of the websites were in the audience, so that was a, a great dialogue because it was also great for the panelists because we could see, or rather hear and see, what their perspectives were. So their, their let's say their awareness 
for the different features on the website were completely different. Mm-hmm. So the eyes and the, the eyes were literally trained to look for other things. And the, the, the panel discussion as a combination was a wonderful website review. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's a that's a great description. So the, the website owners got a minute or two to describe, you know, kind of the goal of the website, what they were trying to accomplish with it. And that was fun to hear too, because each, you know, website had a different um, you know, different purpose and they're all commercial in some nature. Right. Um, but you know, some like one in particular was was um, he was heavy on the SEO on purpose. You know, he was trying to get lots of traffic from search engines and he was very successful with that, but the design was um, you know, fairly limited compared to the others as far as the professionalism of the overall design. Um, and then, you know, there was a, a, a range of all of those. So it, it was a lot of fun. You know, it worked out, I thought, really well on the whole. And people really seemed to enjoy it. And there were a lot of positive Absolutely. comments afterwards. I wasn't sure how it would be received <clears throat> because, you know, if you're in the audience and you're hearing about somebody else's website mm-hmm. being reviewed, how interesting is that? Mm-hmm. You know, my hope was people would get something... You know, they everybody would get a piece out of it um, of something they didn't know in in one of these fields of expertise. You know, from each site, and it seemed in the end to, to have that effect. Um, it sounds like a great if for nothing if nothing else for a learning opportunity for the everybody else in the room. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the website owners were really appreciative. Go on, they, yeah. I mean, you know, I was. I, we acknowledge them and thank them for being brave because that takes a lot of courage oh, yeah. to have yeah. your website. Picked a part way, you know, in a public <laughs> forum, uh, you know, in front yeah. of others, where you're there to hear that feedback. But every, they were all very gracious, and uh, and we were, I think, you know, well, we you tried people to people who are nice. You know, <laughs> and we try, and we very purposely, you know, we asked the panelists to give positive feedback about the aspects they're doing well, and then you know, constructive suggestions for how to improve their area of expertise. So list off the 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 areas that the panelists. Did so it was a markup, um, just like you know, coding markup. How well, how good is the code? Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, does it validate and you know what okay. what's going on in the markup? So that was mm-hmm. one of the five um, design, okay, uh, user experience, UX and usability, mm-hmm. uh, search engine optimization, and internet marketing. So the right. marketing, oh, okay, effectiveness of the that's copy. that's really. All inclusive sounds like to me. There's probably well, a couple little areas you could, you could, you could toss in, but copywriting maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we did. Content. Lori, in addition to covering search engine optimization, did cover content a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The hard part was that you know, with a, like a five minute window for each panelist to give feedback about that site, and even though you know we prepared ahead of time, there's so much more. Each oh, of us could have yeah. said, obviously, you know, five minutes is not a lot to give a usability feedback, right? That's. <laughs> It's pretty quick. But the interesting thing was that you could see similarities between the three sites. Because mm-hmm. what kind of surprised me was, um, you know, there, there's so much to all, all five of these topical areas that we talked about. But for the UX part, one of the key things was that all three other sites had some serious problems in the information architecture. Mm-hmm. So the structure of the site was hard to navigate. The navigation menus weren't really thought through. And what really helped, I think, the audience as well as the, the website owners was that all five of us explained why something wasn't really that well done yeah, or how cool. something could be improved. For example, Dale Daniel, who did the internet marketing uh, piece, he gave like a 10-minute presentation, Ron, give yeah, or take. probably at the start. Yeah. Um, and explained things like unique selling point. So if, if you have never uh, 
gotten into the field of, of marketing or learned about marketing, you might not know what that is. But that point also plays into information, information architecture, for example. If, if you know what you want to sell, it's much easier to, to decide what goes onto the website and right. then how to structure it right. And it was fun to explain certain concepts, and the feedback was great. I mean, something as simple as, as the, the size of a clickable link. You yeah. don't really think about that, but yeah. if you have more, more words, it's easier to click. Think Fitz's Law. Mm-hmm. It can stand out because it has different uh, text styling, and you can use it as a call to action if you, if you um, choose the, the right part of the sentence. Mm-hmm. And if you explain it that way, people have, have uh, it's, it's much easier for people to understand why you would use longer links. Because sometimes, oh, it looks so much more elegant if you one word, if you have one, one word as a link. But in terms of, of UX, it's, it's a, the, the better decision is to use longer. Link. Right. Yeah, and if you just, I feel all you do is hyperlink the exclamation point. It's shorter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's hard to click on. The full stop, at the, the period at the end of a sentence. That's, that's, yeah, yeah. And in fact, I think all the panelists also learned about the, you know, to sort of, oh, I didn't see that, you know, just being pointed to a certain area of a, of the website that didn't or did not work really well, as seen from the other people's perspectives. Yeah, and I think there was you know, there was a, it was tricky to pick. Did we do, you know, should we do two sites or three sites? And just because of a time factor, you know, and but the benefit, the advantage of having reviewed three sites was that. Since I, you know, we got to talk for five minutes on each site, we could cover different points. You know, so I tried to cover different points about design on each of the three as much as I could. Um, so that was an advantage. The the one downside, I think, the thing I would have liked better is there are lots of very experienced people in the audience too who are regular participants in the group, and even new people who are very experienced. And it would have been nice to have more time for the audience to give some feedback of right. their thoughts that the panelists didn't cover. So from that perspective, if we did it again, it might be nice to do two sites. But well, the cool thing was the the few discussions, or let's say the the few um, conversations we had with audience members were really to the point. So there was a lot of great expertise in that audience. Mm -hmm. So maybe next time have fewer sites and involve the audience more. Anything jump out at you guys from your, your perspectives of looking at these sites that like were huge? Or, or maybe consistent across all of them, or I mean, from the design perspective, you know, I had to I tried to find some framework to analyze things so that I could be consistent and give people a structure. Right. Um, so I used uh, I stole from Robin Williams' book, the you design about designing crap. for non designers. <laughs> yes, I talked about crap. You know, <laughs> contrast, repetition, alignment, and proximity. Mm-hmm. So I used those four as the primary ways to to review each site. Good. And you know, every site had some good points on those and some definite areas for improvement mm-hmm. on those. Um, I think a key point is that if you know the people who run the sites, you might overlook the problem of not immediately understanding what their product is. Uh-huh. Because um, two of the three sites had a common problem that their home pages, the entry pages, how you get to the site, they were chock full of information. Mm. And um, in both cases, there, were, there was copy text and the font was very small. Yeah. So it was very difficult to grasp the structure and the layout of the of the entry page, and it was at least for one side, it was very very difficult to understand what is that person offering. What can I buy from that person? Mm-hmm. And um, 
basically there which, should which be is a, which is a question you want to have answered well <laughs> exactly and immediately and immediately you exactly. Site, what can I do here yeah. yes <laughs> and in a place that is is easy to discover so to speak so it doesn't really help if you have a footer on the page that is like five uh, yeah five screen folds down and there it says look this is my product um, and I have to repeat what I what I said like a couple of minutes ago. Um, you should make sure before creating a website what your product is and how you convey what your product is and how you want to present that because it was so difficult to navigate some of the, the websites. And if if you don't have a basic thing like breadcrumbs to know mm-hmm. where you are on, on the site, I did get lost on two of those sites badly. Really? And I thought, you know... Do something simple like a card sort. If you don't know what that is, Google it. It's a wonderful exercise and it's so helpful to understand first if your page structure works or how to create it in the first place. And um, but but that's also the cool thing because the the basics aren't that expansive. If if you want to talk about how to improve a site, if you know what you just said, Ron. If you have this this if you talk about crap on a website, you know <laughs> yeah. the, the acronym. If you start out with that, you can improve the website's design. Uh, in, in major ways, yeah. Same thing with a with a navigation menu. If you limit that to five to seven menu items, for example, make it short and few options and, and decently organized. That makes it so much easier to navigate the site and understand how that site is sort of put together. I think that was one of the overall outcomes that came out. I think you know the panelists and the audience got a feel for you know what are the essentials in each of these areas. Absolutely. You know, so you could probably we could probably go back and make a top twenty list. You know, of right. you know these are the twenty things every website needs to take into account, and it'd be a pretty good checklist for. Yeah, and I, when I um, was doing like usability testing for clients, you know, it's a, there's always those few things that are very obvious and very right. easy mm-hmm. that everybody gets when they, once they see it, and I, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. I think it's, that's the, the importance of having somebody from the outside come in and take a look at it because yeah. you're, when you're when it's your site. You've seen it from when it was a baby, yeah. a baby little wireframe, you know? and then it, and then when it's the full site, you you know where stuff is exactly. You know how to get there. The design looks fine to you because that's how it's always been. You know that kind of stuff. And uh, I think it's a great idea that you had to to do this, and I, I look forward to doing it next time. Mm-hmm. And I, I would encourage anybody listening to kind of you know if you have a web meetup group or whatever to organize this type of a thing because. You know, if you do it nicely, <laughs> um, then everybody can re- really learn a lot of stuff yeah, from this and, and help the help the folks who have the website on the side. And it was pretty. It, it turned out to be a fairly popular event. I was a little concerned because the attendance signups ahead were one of the lowest we've ever really? had. But then I promoted it a little more that day. We got a few more. But then we had like ten more people actually show up than had RSVP'd, which is a first. Usually there's a small attrition rate. You get a couple yeah. fewer than have actually RSVP'd. We had like ten more than RSVP'd. It was packed. Yeah, it was. We were expecting about twenty four, and we had like thirty four people show up or something. Wow, um, which was nice. So, so it's definitely seen popular, and there's a lot of interest to to do it again. So we will we will do that again here. Maybe people have this idea that if you have a panel discussion, it's like talking down to people. So they want to sit in the audience when you have these experts on stage <laughs> oh, and yeah. they know everything. And 
And but that's exactly what we well, told the reality is without really having a room to think of, about it. Really, is a room of peers, right? And there are people exactly. in the audience equally or more qualified than any of us, you uh-huh. know, up on the panel. And uh, yeah, so uh, so I think we'll also mix up the panelists next time, and yeah. you know, have some others who have great ideas to share. And so even more opportunities for all of us to learn from each other, which to me is really the overall point of these communities, right? And meetups is mm-hmm. you know it's a great opportunity for all of us to learn from each other. None of us knows everything. Except for me. <laughs> well, hail thee. <laughs> well, that's really cool. And I, we'll have to, I don't know, maybe we can toy with the idea of recording the next review. Yeah, that could be fun. Yeah. Actually, one of the website owners did bring an audio recorder and put it up You know, when, when the panel was discussing um, and got all of his captured. So it occurred to me to bring a flip cam and I just spaced it, but... Yeah, we, we we could you know record it and maybe throw it on the podcast link to you know if if, if it's interesting enough. Yeah, know? that could so. be that could be interesting audio only how that would work. But if it was video, we could still can we throw yeah. up a video? We could throw a video up. Yeah, sure. Okay, why not? Why not? <laughs> it's the web. We could hey, we're tech we savvy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. But okay, well, thanks for telling us about that, guys, and, and uh, we'll look forward to the next one. Yeah, totally. So I want to talk about our podcast sponsor very briefly. So for the listeners of Einstein and Sock Monkey, Audible, uh, Audible, Audible.com is offering a free audiobook download with a 14-day free membership trial to give you a chance to check out their service. Uh, so my Audible book of the episode here is Rework, uh, which is by Jason Fried and David Hansen of 37 Signals. And uh, I just finished listening to this uh, fairly recently. And... Uh, Found it pretty interesting. Have you guys read it or listened to it yourselves? I've, I've read the Dead Tree version. Okay. Uh, and what did you think of the the book? I thought it was a kind of a. Have you have you read it, John? I've heard about it, but I haven't okay. actually read it. Uh, I thought, as a freelancer, when I was reading it, I thought this is pretty cool. It's kind of like a manifesto of kind of. Going against the man, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but now that you work for the man, now that I work for the man, I, I see a lot of a lot of things that they've talked against that are actually pretty useful mm-hmm. when you're working mm-hmm. with the man, mm-hmm. you know. The, and so it's kind of like, you know, they, they say they're really against meetings and they're really um, all about you know no no interruptions and you know, all good stuff and all all positive things. Especially when you're dealing with um, working by yourself, when there's different kinds of demands on your time and and things like that. Um, but those things are not. It's not just like anything. There's. It's hard to say just flat out that meetings are bad all the time. Exactly. Because sometimes you really need to have some meetings. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know. So yeah, that's very true. And so, so what this but book it, is overall, ab- it's good. Yeah. What what this book is about is you know, Thirty Seven Signals built Basecamp, and uh, Ruby on Rails is the Rails is a product of Thirty Seven Signals, mm-hmm. and so they are writing basically, you know, from their experience as business owners, they're writing about. Um, you know the lessons they've learned um, yeah. from running mm-hmm. their business, and uh, I mean Jason Free and David Hansen are very well known as being quite opinionated people. Yeah, um, but that's part of how they've made their name for themselves totally. is by being opinionated. So I definitely did not agree with a fair bit of what was in there, but I also definitely picked up a few really interesting tidbits of um, ways to approach things in business. Um, and I think there's some uh, 
definitely some value there. Yeah, I thought it was a great, it, like you said, I don't agree with everything in there, but it's a great, it's a great way to shake up your thinking. Mm-hmm. I'll put it that way. Yeah, good Because it's that really, it's way out in the in left yeah. field mm-hmm. with some of the stuff. It's like mm-hmm. really harsh against some things. Um, but, you know, it just take, take out what you need and help and let it shift your thinking a little bit because mm-hmm. books like that are, are good for the soul because <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you get stuck in a rut you know, too yeah. easily. And it's a quick listen too. It's only two hours and 50 minutes. So mm-hmm. just under three hours. And that's on a bridge. And that's on a bridge. Yeah. Correct. So it's a quick read to get through the sections and it's uh, definitely some entertainment along the way. Yeah. So to download uh, your free audiobook, of course, you could pick any audiobook that's available through audible.com. Um, go to audibletrial.com forward slash Einstein and you can get your free book. So let's move on to our blog picks of the week. And Steve, I think you're, I moved you up first on the list. <laughs> yes. I, um, my blog pick of the week is actually not web-related at all. It is fashion-related, and I am nowhere near any kind of fashionista or whatever. But He's wearing a great T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and, but his, his glasses pants. are awesome. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, thank you. Thank you for the glasses comment. But um, no, it's, it, the, the blog is called The Sartorialist, and it's thesartorialist.blogspot.com. And what it is, the reason I'm bringing this up is what what this guy does? He's a he's a street photographer essentially. Because okay. I I have to say I have no idea what a sartorialist is. So I hope you're going to define this. A sartorialist. Is, I had to look this one up, and I I think I'll get this correctly. It's it's a person who, um, as he googles, really <laughs> as he googles it, I'll Google it while you're okay, talking. Okay, talk. It. It's basically someone who is who is, concerns themselves with fashion more or less. Okay, you know I I think, but Google it and figure it out yourself. But anyway. Um, what this guy is, he's a street photographer, lives in New York City, and he is totally into fashion, you know, like the really high-end fancy stuff, the runway, you know, st- all that kind of thing. But what he does is he goes around and he photographs just regular people just wearing interesting things. And um, some, of the, some of the stuff, he actually goes to Milan for Fashion Week and all that kind of thing. But he, he just takes photographs of people wearing whatever they're wearing that day and it's some really interesting stuff and sometimes he comments on it sometimes he doesn't the reason i bring it up with a web design uh and a web design podcast is that i love how some some people put things together in their clothing that you would never imagine putting together but it ends up working and I think there's a lot of things we can take from that with web design that the just not even not necessarily even graphically and color wise, but there, sometimes you put things together that don't seem to fit and they can really work if you do it with purpose. Mm-hmm. And you can tell with websites if things are done on purpose or if they've just kind of been mashed together. Yeah. And that, and I think this guy has a besides being an awesome photographer, this guy's really really good. At taking pictures of people, which is hard to do, um, he does a really good job of of getting of getting people who you can tell they they're wearing what they're wearing on purpose, and even if it's different than you would ever want to do. And so, I, I you know, as a kind of an encouragement for people to kind of branch out on in their websites, 
with their designs, with their coding, whatever, do things that you would never think to do before, and the the result could be you know pleasantly surprising. So, the sartorialist. Interesting. Pretty good. Pretty good. I lot. did find a, at least one online definition of it, which is of or relating to a tailor or tailoring. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Fits. yeah. Who's cool. next? Johnny. Do you have a blog? Uh, I do, and um, of course it's UX related in one way or another, and it's called Little Big Details, and their subheader says your daily dose of UI inspiration, and. Um, I have to admit that I'm not really sure who's behind this, but it's a wonderful blog, uh, very low traffic, um, maybe a post or two per day, and it's usually just an image, like a screenshot, mm-hmm. and a single sentence description of what you see in a screenshot. Okay. So to give you three examples of what this is about, um, there's a screenshot of um, Apple's MobileMe um, cloud services, and it says, when resizing the MobileMe login window, it's centered on the login box instead of the classic top left corner. Uh, another example, um, there are three uh, screenshots of the Foursquare iPhone application. And it says, every time you go to the Explore tab in the Foursquare app, it gives you different examples of what you can search for. So in the search, mm. box, in the search box, it says, try computers or try guacamole or try DJ. And as a third example... Uh, the Apple Store, if you go to the iPad section, shows black and white buttons appropriately to help you select the color for your iPad. So if you choose the black version, the select button has a black background. And if you choose the white version, it has a white background. And what I love about this blog, I don't think it's really about UI inspiration, um, or at least <laughs> not just about UI inspiration. <laughs> it's about making normal people aware of the details that UI designers think about. Because if you go to a website like, uh, let, let me use, let's stick with the iPad 2 example. If you go to the Apple uh, web store and you purchase a device, you might be interested in the device itself, but you don't notice the details and the, and the extent to which the designers have thought about the details. Mm-hmm, and then right. you see, oh, look, the buttons have two different colors. It's something that feels so natural in that specific example, for example, that you don't really... Um, consciously notice that until someone points that out to you. So if you do UX design at all, it's a wonderful site to follow. And if you don't do UX design, it's an even better site to follow because it points <laughs> out to you point. just to what detail people work on these these things. Yeah, I love, I just, I, I, I was laughing at the, the first post I see right now is the BBC Radio 1 video player. The volume control goes up to eleven, <laughs> which is awesome. Nice uh, Spinal Tap reference there, isn't yeah. that? And then uh, I noticed a few below that on Kickstarter in the footer, they have a little scissors icon that's lined up with the dashed line that separates yeah. the footer. And it says if you click the scissors icon three times, the footer falls down. Really? <laughs> that's oh, I got pretty go try clever. That. We've got all tried this now. <laughs> so that's a, that's a fun. Yeah, I, lo- I love stuff like that. That's of course thank, it, thank you for that. If, if it has to do with interactions, it also shows you to what extent a blog author, like the person behind this blog, goes to test things that might not be obvious. I mean, right. with that pair of scissors, I mean... Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> that is really cool. Yeah, you've got to... Anybody listening, go to kickstarter.com, go all the way to the bottom and click the scissors icon until it cuts off the whole bottom. Yeah, you click it once and it goes part way across. Part way, yeah. You got to do it a few times, but then it, and it leaves the nice 
background, like something's missing in a yeah. graphic design program. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, and Before I, I forget, yeah. maybe list the URL because <laughs> it would kind of suck if a little big detail with our listeners. Oh yes. Yeah, so so the the website is just littlebigdetails.com. Yeah, I think I, I love I love those little details like that. Thank you so much. Glad you like it. Yeah. And mine is completely frivolous and unrelated to web at all, except that it does relate to iPhones peripherally, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, damn you autocorrect. Oh my God, that's so funny. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny. And the, the reason I picked it is, you know, I mean, I love to laugh. I think, I think most of us do as humans, a fundamental mm-hmm. characteristic of human nature. And um, when, if you need a laugh and you haven't, you probably most of everybody's probably heard of this, but if you haven't heard of this and you need a good laugh, holy moly, check it out and... Um, uh, it's it's pretty hilarious, but uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm reading a few. Of yeah, I know. It's like if you read eight of them and haven't li- laughed out loud, then <laughs> something is wrong with you. <laughs> they're they're pretty funny. So uh, if you need a, a daily dose of of laughter, which I enjoy, I that's where I go first. Is damn you autocorrect. In fact, I just bookmarked it on my permanent iPhone web link thing so I can just get there quickly <laughs> off my Safari browser. Yeah, but it's true. It's one of those sites if you have a bad day, you just go there for like five or five or six blog posts and, exactly. and your mood instantly improves. And, and what they are are screenshots of text conversations, yep. you know, on iPhones or Android mm-hmm. phones or whatever of, uh, you know, where the autocorrect has just made it either ridiculous, hilarious or Wrong or whatever. And a lot of these I would not recommend reading out loud at work. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I'd say it's NSFW, except there's no images usually. Um, But yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I think we're reading these. Okay, see, I'm not gonna be able to talk. Headed, headed off in a bad direction. See, see, it works. The site works, right? It works. We know we got confirmation, Ron, and the site works. Oh, that's awesome. so funny. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna lose it. Okay. Different oh, tab, okay. quick. Different okay. tab, quick. So now it's back over to you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did clo- book club reminder. Yeah, thank you. To, to close out, I just wanted to remind everybody that the book club that we're going, our next book in the book club is Resonate by Nancy Duarte about um, how to get your message across in uh, presentations. It's mm-hmm. not like how to do the PowerPoint slide, but how to make it that the flow of things and et cetera. And we have an Amazon link uh, for that. It's seventeen fifty on Amazon and... Because we're in Colorado, we can't get any royalties off of the Amazon link. So <laughs> True enough. You don't have to go to our, our blog to do it. But um, other than that, so make sure you get the book, read it, and we'll be discussing it at a future date. I have the book. Excellent. I've started it. Um, haven't finished the whole thing, but anyway. So uh, to close out, thanks, of course, as we always say, to Josh Mulgan for doing the show notes and, and, and listening to this whole thing and actually taking the notes on the thing and putting them on the site for us. And uh, to the Hive, uh, here, the uh, shared office space here in Fort Collins, uh, it's hivefc.com is where we're actually recording the podcast. And please visit our website at einsteinandsockmonkey.com. We'd love to hear your comments on our blog. And subscribe to the podcast and iTunes. And please be sure to rate us on iTunes. That's the best way to let other people know about our podcast. And you can find me at codegeek.net on the web or on Twitter at Ron underscore Z. And you can find me, my blog is at uh, clevercubed.com and also uh, Twitter is at clevercubed. 
And you can find me at the Everyday Usability blog called The UI Observatory. That's uiobservatory.com. And on Twitter, let me spell that out for you. It's J-O-C-H-E-N-W-O-L-T-E-R-S. Cool. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. Ciao. Great to have you. Einstein and Sock Monkey is sponsored by CodeGeek.net, a full-service web design and development agency, and CleverCubed.com, providing user experience design, usability testing, and information architecture, and presented by Ron Zazadinsky and Steve Martin. Music provided by the band Black Lab. Find them at blacklabworld.com. Stop.